You're listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. Welcome to the program, Gabby Leibovich, founder of Catch or Catch of the Day, as um, I, as I know him. Gabby, it's a real buzz to have you on the program today, and it was great to see you dancing there to our uh, our corny little ditty at the beginning. You know, for for many years we were frenemies, and um, certainly someone that I've always admired in business. But um, welcome to the show today. Uh, thank you, Michael and Steve. Uh, great being here with you today. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I followed yourself and your ex-partner, Paul Greenberg, for many, many years in the early days. So same story, same uh, same feelings. Great yeah, to be here. Great to have you here, Gabby. Yeah. Thanks, Gabby. And um, congratulations on the launch of your, your new book with uh, your brother, Hezzy. Um, it's Catch of the Decade. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, I haven't touched the book yet. Uh, hopefully, I'll be receiving it in the next seven days. And I'm looking forward to uh, opening that box and actually holding it in my hand. It's something we've been working on since probably December when the idea uh, you know, uh, came about. And uh, as you can see, I've been bombarding it on LinkedIn this month and telling my whole uh, 2,000 connections that they need to get this book and tell their friends. I think just like with business, uh, you know, we like to be winners and I want this book to be a success. Even though we're not making a cent out of it, it's not a business transaction, you know. 100% of the profits are going to a couple of nice charities that you know in Sydney, Good 360 and Second Bite. But uh, I think that we have an amazing story, especially in the Australian e-commerce, that uh, we would love to share with everyone, especially now that we are not doing uh, that much. It's a story of inspiration. Uh, it comes at a very interesting time as we are, you know, hopefully reaching the end of COVID in Australia. And so many people are asking themselves the question of, of what's next. And they're looking for, uh, you know, some excitement and inspiration. And everything touches uh, the best zone right now, which is digital. You know, we've only touched digital. And the subtitle of the book is How to Launch, Build and Sell uh, Digital Businesses. It's amazing. So maybe that's a good place to start. I mean, you've, you've sold a couple of businesses now, or at least a couple, Gabby. Tell us what it's like, you know, exiting your own business. You know, for some founders... It can be quite challenging. You know, it's, it's their baby that they've nurtured over many years, you know, 13 yep. years in your case. Do you miss it? Okay, so we launched, we, we exited a couple of businesses. The first exit was in May 2015, where we sold our merged business, Eat Now, that ended up merging earlier that year with Menulog uh, to a company in England called Just Eat for a stupid sum of $855 million. Incredible. Well, one of the, uh, yeah. the biggest uh, private tech exits. Um, at, at the time, it certainly was, but you just feel that in 2021, there's going to be some sillier transaction than that. And we are seeing a bunch of them being listed in the coming 30 days. The market is completely out of control. What, what was it like uh, when you saw that number that came through? There's, there's, a, there's a funny story that actually comes with that, but I'll answer Michael's answer question first because the truth is I was never in love with It Now because It Now was really run by, it was launched by my brother as a side business on the side of Catch, just like we've built Catch, uh, sorry, Scoop on in 2010. But I was always the retailer, the product guy, and I ran away with Catch of the Day till till the end, and that was my, my real baby. I'm a retailer, I'm a buyer, I'm a trader. I like to walk on the warehouse floor. So to answer your question, it now was 
a stepchild of sorts, you know, and uh, it was a great financial transaction. But honestly, for me, there was not that much love to that business because I wasn't really involved in building it, launching it, running it and, and even selling it. But on the flip side, when we sold Catch in August 2019, and I'm sitting in my study right now and underneath me is my car is parking. And I remember the morning that I drove to work and I got into my car and I was about to reverse and I, I literally started crying. I started crying on my own in my car, knowing that this is my last day at, at catch. And, 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 and this is like literally saying goodbye to, to a child. And it's happened 13 months ago. I feel like crying right now as I speak to you. And yes, I do miss that business and I do miss the team and I do miss the excitement and I do miss the building. And it's literally like a child. Interestingly enough, you know, you can see behind me, I love soccer and I've got lots of soccer merchandise. I've been describing it to people as I feel like a retired soccer player watching the best game from the sidelines and I'm unable to play because 2020 was the best game of e-commerce ever. Yeah. And I'm sure that you have those feelings as well, Michael. In many ways, we were ahead of our times. And, you know, if myself and Hezi have made my one mistakes in the last decade and a half, it's in the timing of selling that business. And unknowingly, we sold it one year too early for, for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They say uh, hindsight's uh, 2020, yeah, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> 2020, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, you know, you must get a real buzz today. I mean, your billboards are all over the place. I can't drive yeah. anywhere without seeing, you know, yeah. Brad's pit, you know, and all this, yeah. you know, these clever, funny yeah. you know, um, billboards. Um, you're on primetime TV. I mean, I know you were before. I used to see you on a current affair every other week. Yeah. How does Gabby do that? But you also had, you know, Jason Alexander, George yeah. from Seinfeld as yeah. your ambassador. Tell us a bit about that. I mean, you had a lot of fun over those yeah. 13 years. Yeah, so that, that story is actually in the book. We had to include uh, George uh, in the book. We, we love Seinfeld. I just received his, uh, Jerry's, Jerry's new book this week uh, from Booktopia. I'll give them a plug. Uh, yeah, so sometime around 2013, we heard that George is about to do a bunch of shows in Melbourne at Crown Casino. And uh, we saw that as an opportunity and we reached out to his management and said, hey, uh, how about we give George another gig and uh, we'll film a couple of you know TV commercials and uh, and filming in uh, in our you know catch studio holding a bunch of products and we signed a deal with him and George was our uh, brand ambassador uh, for a year uh, until today it's still the biggest celebrity that I ever met and spent some time with so it's quite exciting. Uh, I was joking with my kids. I keep telling them, this is my cousin, George, you know, <laughs> when, when they were young, they were referring to him as my cousin. They didn't really get the joke, you know, now certainly, uh, yeah, certainly a bit of a buzz. Uh, and did that yeah. work well for you as a brand? And, and I've got a second follow-up question. Was he as neurotic as his character, you know, in, in real life? Or, uh... no, 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 he wasn't. We probably <laughs> spent about four hours with him in the office. Uh, we also managed to get him to do a private show to about 100 of us at Crime Casino. A bit of comedy, a bit of uh, handshaking for our staff and, and a few suppliers. Did it work for us? It's a, it's a big question. Uh, we can probably talk about that a bit later about how different myself and my brother are. So one of the things that we never agree on is about how to spend our marketing dollars. And my brother is completely below the line and he wants to put 100% of it into measurable stuff, Google, Facebook, as such. 
And I am completely on the other side, on the billboard, TV, radio, George Costanza. And uh, if my brother was here right now, we would fight and, and, and punch each other, and we would not agree. <laughs> we would still not agree. He thinks that I'm a complete idiot when it comes to that, and I just don't understand his, uh, his view. Uh, so if you ask me, I think it worked really, really well. And if you ask him, it was a complete waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the middle, probably the truth. That's right. <laughs> Great. Uh, what, was that buzz. very expensive doing, doing that, having him on board? It was uh, $300,000. Okay. So he spent literally five hours with us and took that much. So I think wow. he was happy. And I think we got a fair deal as well. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I never shared it with anyone, but since you asked, and it's been seven or eight years ago, I think it's okay to let that information yeah, slide. Cool. I think it's interesting yeah. for other, you know, founders to think about, you know, that's, what those, that's true. What those that's things true. sort of cost. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so going back, you mentioned about that, that crazy price that you guys got paid for, for menu log. What, yeah. what was it like when you received that sort of like, there's, and how did you, how did you first get that number? Like, was it just there, an email? There is, there is a great story there. So the transaction, because we owned 30% of the merged entity and menu log owned 70%, most of the willing and dealing behind the scenes were done exclusively by Menulog. Uh, we gave them the go-ahead to sell the business at above $200 million. So above 200, they did not need to ask for our permission. Anyway, after a few months of willing and dealing, we were told that we need to present ourselves at 9 a.m. in the morning at the offices of Goldman Sachs in Melbourne. So all the uh, you know shareholders... Uh, got to the city, very excited. We knew that something happened, but we don't know. We didn't know what and at what price. There were about 20 of us there, all the bankers and lawyers and share owners in Melbourne. And we were on direct telecast with about 40 people sitting in the Goldman Sachs offices in Sydney, including the founders of Menulog, uh, Leon and uh, Dan Katz and many others. Uh, anyway, Dan took the microphone and he said, congratulations, uh, there is a deal. I would like each one of you to write on a piece of paper what you think the price was. And all 60 of us wrote on a piece of paper what we thought the price was and then then read all those numbers. <laughs> and there were numbers there literally from 150 to maybe 600. From 150 to 600. My number was 455. I remember it very clearly. That was my guess. Anyway, you can imagine what happened in the room when he announced the price of $855 million. None of us could even imagine that that is the price. It was quoted by the BRW at the time to be a deal done at 371 times EBITDA and one of the best exits ever on whatever silly multiples. Yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, an amazing story. We probably could have written a whole book just on that, uh, <laughs> on that chapter, but in our book, it hardly gets about five or six uh, pages, simply because we have so many great stories to tell that happened over the last, you know, decade and a half. And one of the pro biggest problems with this book is actually choosing what stories to tell and what stories to omit, because yeah. there would not be enough pages. I can feel a sequel coming on. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and why do you shades of retail <laughs> <laughs> and why do you think they, they they paid as much as they did look uh you know as you can see right now you know home delivery of food or yeah. ordering your food online is is as good as it gets at the time we literally owned 95 percent of the food delivery in the country just to mention to your audience that at the time 
Deliveroo and Menulog did not exist. Yeah. I remember telling people that I knew that chances are my grandchildren will be buying from Menulog simply because you could not see any kind of competitor coming into the market and taking any slice. But as often happens in digital, all companies have a certain shelf life and we all know what happened. The leader today is uh, definitely Uber Eats. There's no question about that. Uh, why did it happen? There was an auction of sorts. I'm not really sure how it evolved, but there's a bunch of Amazons of food delivery all around the world. Uh, one of them was an American company called Grubhub. Another one was a German company called uh, Food Panda. The third one was uh, Just Eat from England. And I'm guessing uh, that's where the price ended. Yeah, interesting story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you got the timing right with that one. Yeah, definitely. So, so moving along, you know, they say... Mixing family and business is like the thing not to not to do, but you know you guys have, have made it such a such a great success. And what, what do you think the reason is that you, you've both been able to work so successfully together? One of our employees, VJ, that worked with us for ten years, when he left us in 2016, he said the following line: "This business would not have succeeded with two Gabbies or with two Hezies. It needed one of each." And when he said that line, it just, it was spot on, you know, no one else has ever described it as well. The reason is that we are very, very different. And because of that, we bring complementary skills. My brother has never done a podcast. He hates interviews. He hasn't even given me one fucking like for any mention on LinkedIn. And you saw how many podcasts I've <laughs> Come got on, on this. Come on, Izzy. Give this us a like, please. Not <laughs> even one like. But you know what? I haven't even asked him for it. I'm going to ask you to post about it, but I'm not going to ask my brother because I know who he is. On the flip side, he's got a lot of skills and 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 uh, elements that he brings to this to this game that I don't have. He's a lot more technical than me, you know. He understands the SEO game uh, a lot better than me. He's a much better negotiator than me. But, you know, there's some things that he liked and there's some things that he didn't. Would you believe that we have built a $20 million logistical robotic warehouse and he hasn't even stepped into it until 2017 for the first time? The warehouse was ready in 2014. The first time he stepped into it was 2017. I'm just trying to give you an yeah, example wow. of how, how different we are. But on the flip side, we have complete trust. So I completely trusted it in to go out there and build Scoopon while I was building Catch. After he finished building Scoopon, I completely trusted him to go out there and build, uh, and build it now. He trusted the, in, in building a $20 million warehouse and, 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 and so on. One thing that, and quite a few things that we are similar at, are great for business. So for example, both of us are very strong risk takers. And you can't build businesses like that without taking risk. Both of us are quite, we don't cry about spilt milk, you know, and we've made a lot of mistakes in the last decade and a half. And I can talk about them later. But you know what, we don't think about those mistakes. Okay, stuff it. This was Monday's mistakes. What are we doing on Tuesday? How do we, you know, Forget about the $10,000 that we've lost. How do we make a million dollars? And that's the way we, we looked at business. And that's the way that we look at life. And the last thing I want to touch on that, that it's a lot more fun to do it in a group of two rather than individually. Sure, you can build large businesses on your own. But being an entrepreneur is such a tough roller coaster. And it's so much better to do it with someone else. And even today, myself and my brother will SMS each other 
a hundred times a day with different ideas, perspective. Have you looked at this article? Check this article. What do you think of this investment opportunity? And, you know, it, it's great to know that if we both believe and agree with something, for example, an investment in a startup, that we have each other's back in going ahead and, 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 and risking it, but also sharing in the rewards. Yeah, cool. And so are you both investing in other startups together or, or separately? We don't have any rules on that, but we've invested in about 15 startups and I think we've done one separately. Yeah, okay. uh, So we find it a lot more comfortable doing it together. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. And, and what sort of things do you look for when you're investing in, in other founders? What are, what are the key characteristics? Look, you obviously need to like the idea and the problem that they're trying to solve. But we all know that lots of people have great ideas. You can't yeah. imagine how many people reached out to me in the last 24, uh, sorry, in the last 12 months since Corona started with an idea of launching your business, Steve, you know, in the space of delivery. Everyone knows that delivery is hot and logistics is hot. But we all know that it's not the idea. It's the execution. It's yeah. the timing. Uh, it's the team and so much more than that. So it's about finding the balance of all of the above. Lots of people have great ideas, but you wouldn't back them because you just don't believe in, in, in either their team, in their ability to execute, or you just don't like the people. A lot of the time we just said no to people because we thought that they were schmucks, you know? They're just not people that you want to go to dinner with and, and, and celebrate stuff with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, there's no, there's no formula there, as you know. Yeah. And by the way, we've made many mistakes. Hey, can I tell you about one of them? <laughs> uh, this friend, friend, friend of mine, friend of me called Paul Greenberg, calls me one day straight, <laughs> after, straight after the transaction with Menulog. He knew that we have some cash to spare, and he saw that we were investing in various Australian startups, companies like Tribe that belongs to Jules Land or High Pages, your friends in uh, Sydney. And Paul says, hey, Gabby, I want to come to your office and show and introduce you to a young guy with an interesting concept. I tell my brother, hey, Paul Greenberg is coming. Do you want to meet with him? The first thing that my brother tells me, ah, you keep wasting your time listening to all those silly stories. Anyway, I managed to get my brother into the meeting. This guy called Nick that has this fintech concept that none of us really understand because we are not fintech people. And he's begging us to invest in his business at a valuation of $50 million, blah, blah, blah. To cut the long story short, we told Nick that we are not interested because we are not fintech people. And we don't believe that he can go out there and beat uh, MasterCard and PayPal in their own game. And we all know that it's Nick Molnar, the owner of Afterpay, that has managed to build the biggest <laughs> success story of the decade, a company valued at $25 billion. And not a day goes by without me looking at the share price of Afterpay <laughs> and remembering that story. And of course, that story is in the book as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the second person to come on our podcast who uh, yeah. has missed out on uh, making that investment. But you know what, Nick and, and Anthony are such nice guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, they deserve all the success that they're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace, to find a convenient parking space near your home or office. Yes, in the book you talk about people being everything, which I guess is what you've just, you know, spoken about before, but hiring is often very challenging for startups, particularly in the early days when you're, you know, no one knows who you are. You know, how did you guys go about hiring great people? I think the definition of great is something that is so hard to quantify. I'll tell you one thing, I think... Let me tell you a joke. <laughs> this, 
this magician once came to my house for a birth, birthday lunch. And one of his lines was, hi, I'm Luigi Zucchini. I'm the best magician in my price range. <laughs> and the kids didn't understand the joke, but the adult really got the joke because he charged only $300 for an appearance, but he was the best magician at his price range. And when I think about Luigi Zucchini, I remember our first 10 hires and the best first 10 hires were just, you know, young people, most likely university dropouts, 19 year olds that knew their area of expertise, call it tech, finance, logistics, a little bit better than Gabi and Hezi. But the main reason we hired them is because they were happy to accept 50 or $60,000. And I think from then onwards, it's, it's about going for that ride together. And we talk about that in the book. And in the book, we describe the togetherness of, of year one. And you remember that, Michael. And the togetherness is if there's too many emails, then all of us sit there and we take care of the emails. Uh, if a container just arrived from China and it's 40 degrees, and I remember that clearly, we all take our shirts off and we go out there and we unload the container. And that means driving and meeting suppliers and taking your goods to the post office. And it, and it very much was a team. I'm just going to fast forward about 10 years. So all of those 19-year-olds have stuck with us for about 10 years. I was going to ask. Uh, and suddenly yeah. there were 30-year-olds. And to be honest, they've only worked at, at catch of the day. They didn't really have, you know, the required knowledge to take us to the next level. And they were ready to depart. And a lot of them departed after 10 years. But 10 years later... In uh, 2016, uh, we could suddenly afford to get experts in all areas. The best uh, HR person we can get, the best customer service we can get, the best marketing person we can get, the best logistical person, etc. But suddenly, these were people that we could afford to pay them $250,000 and $300,000. And whichever way you look at it, guys, I mean, when you have 20 years experience and you're 40 years old, you certainly have a lot more to add than a 19-year-old kid. To all of those startup people listening to this podcast and wondering what I'm talking about, the answer is there's, there's no magic answer. <laughs> But I think we managed to build a tremendous family. Catch is certainly known for building an amazing culture, for building great people, great work ethic. And somehow it all starts from the top. And I think it starts from the founders and infiltrates to the rest of the team. In the book, we refer to that concept as intrapreneurs, not entrepreneurs with an E, but intrapreneurs with an I. I think we managed to surround ourselves with lots of intrapreneurs. These are department leaders that come to work every single day, put in 110% and treat that business as if it was their own. And our job is to be the glue that connects them together, give them the, the freedom To, to execute and the guidance is required, but, but let, them, let them operate it as if it was their own business. And I'm really happy to say that we really succeeded in that and you know, catch employees all around Australia are in such high demand, I can tell you that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And just on that note, I mean, you, you managed a raft of businesses. It wasn't just one or two, right? Yeah. How, how, many, how many businesses did you guys open and In 20, yeah, right. uh, it, it started in 2010 when we spotted the Groupon opportunity in the USA and we, and we launched a Groupon competitor called Scoopon. And it worked really well because we realized that we can leverage the database and the audience that trusted and loved Catch of the Day to build vertical businesses. And in 2011, we launched Grocery Run. 
I know that you remember that, Michael, because you launched some kind of a grocery run yourself around that time. What was this called? Supermarket deals. And Grocery Run was a great success as well. And in 2012, we decided to launch another business and we called it MAMGO. What's MAMGO? Probably a baby bunting online, mums and baby products online. So by 2012, we were running four different businesses online. In 2012, we also acquired the majority share in a, in a wine business online, alcohol, a company called Vinomofo. So we suddenly... I, I, loved, I loved the video that you guys made. That was one of yeah, the funniest yeah, things. Yeah, my wife didn't like it as much. <laughs> Let's not get into detail. Don't mention the war. Yeah, don't mention the war. But yeah, suddenly by the end of 2012, we find ourselves running five different e-commerce sites. How did you and, do it? I mean, I guess that's my question. Because for most founders, um, yeah. you know, focus really is key to success. You know and, what? You know, even at Deals Direct, we we sort of <laughs> fell victims to having yeah. too many um, distractions yeah. in the business and we, we sort of refocused. So, yeah, how did you manage five businesses? I think you had more than that at one point, right? I think five was probably the most because a year later, Vinomofa departed, but something else arrived. And, and, and guess what? Michael and Steve, by 2014, there were probably another four businesses that we were trying to incubate within that incubator of catch. Oh, I forgot to mention it now as, as well, by the way. So that makes, it, six. That makes yeah. it number six. But in 2014, we tried to incubate another four different businesses, but none of them actually even saw the light of day. Even though we spent millions of dollars trying to build them for many reasons, we can talk about it if we have any time, they never really saw the light of day. How did we do it? I mean, I can only go back to what I mentioned earlier, the concept of entrepreneurs. So my cousin, Kalman, that was with us for a bunch of years, became the entrepreneur and the lead of Grocery Run. And he's done tremendously well. His brother, Guy Pollock, joined us and he became the leader of Mamgo. Vinomofo, of course, was being run by the same team of founders and they launched it in Adelaide. Three excellent guys that knew the space of wine because Gabi and Hezi don't understand the difference between a $5 bottle and a $500 bottle. So we certainly couldn't give them uh, any guidance. Saying all that, Michael, I'm not sure if we chose the right path. Maybe Kogan chose the right path where he could concentrate on only one brand. He was pushing it for the last 13 years. It's, it's debatable. But in the book, we talk about this period as you need to kiss a few frogs in order to find your princess. And our princess, as mentioned earlier, was uh, Eat Now and Menu Log that, you know, we all know what happened there. So, you know. Unless you try, you don't succeed. And we certainly have tried many, many times. You guys started on eBay, much like Paul and I with, uh, with Auction Brokers and Deals Direct. And like many other e-commerce entrepreneurs, I think most started on eBay, right, yep. here in Australia. Yep. But you certainly managed to scale well and truly beyond that, you know, from your garage to, you know, many football field size warehouses. And Catch Today is, is really a formidable competitor to eBay. I mean, you're, you're you know, one of the largest marketplaces here in Australia. Yeah. You know, what were some of those pivotal moments that helped you to scale to, you know, what's it, $600 million today that the business is doing or thereabouts? I think the number reported for last financial year was 630. So I'm guessing this year they'll be heading towards, I don't know, 900. Your guess is as good as mine. Massive, really massive. Firstly, let's talk about the eBay days. <laughs> so we started at eBay 2004, 2005. We had no path to follow except keeping a close eye on what auction brokers was doing every day in Sydney. I have Sorry to say that. that, you know, <laughs> we, we were watching there. you like hawks every single day, learning how to sell online. 
And I know that we have cleared the path for many other e-commerce players that, uh, that followed us. But in Australia, yourself, Michael, and Paul Greenberg are certainly, certainly the pioneers that we looked up to. We talk about it in the book that at some stage, I think you had something like 5,000 SKUs in your warehouse, and we had about 60 or 70, 60 or 70 or 100 SKUs on our marketplace called daily deals. And we realized that we will never beat you. And for that reason, we looked for a different alternative. And our, our alternative was to go completely the other way and launch a business that would sell only one product a day. And that's what we did. In October 2006, we launched Catch of the Day. You asked me earlier about pivotal moments. I, I actually cannot give you those pivotal moments that you are looking for. The only thing that I can tell you is if I need to look at that period, I have to use the couple of words, growing pains. It was like growing, growing, growing all the time. We changed five different warehouses in our first five years. We doubled our business in our first five years. We doubled our employee sizes every single year. We doubled the parcels going out every single year. And that's phenomenal. Year one, we did 7 million, Michael. Year two, we did 16. Year three was 32. Year four was 60. Year five was 120. Year two or year six was 240 or something like that. And, and that is hard. Just moving warehouses is a pain in the ass. Can you imagine going, going into your 4,000 square meter warehouse, thinking that that will be your home for the next four years and it's a lot of fun. And three or four months later, you already need to start looking for your next warehouse <laughs> because the market is growing, your business is growing, you're doing something right, which is great. But the growing pains are so hard. And, and, and there comes the execution. You know, a lot of people fail when it comes to something like that. But I don't know. Somehow we succeeded. <laughs> yeah, so I guess execution is key. Absolutely. Absolutely. So next week, we actually have uh, Melissa from the PR group uh, on yeah. the program. And, uh, you know, you guys have been extremely successful in leveraging the, uh, the power of uh, PR. And I know um, Mike always tells me how much he hated seeing you guys on uh, Current Affair every week and, uh, and very much uh, believes in the power of PR. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and in, in, in how that sort of grew the, uh, the, catch, of the catch of the Day brand? Yeah, so uh, I love Melissa. She's a great friend. And, uh, but Melissa will admit to you tomorrow that uh, she had no business until she met us. And since she met us, she's definitely become the market leader, the go-to place for all startups, both local and global. And I speak to her uh, every single week for advice. And, and I still show off any article that I have and I show it to Melissa because she's my friend in the PR space and in the marketing space. I love marketing. I love branding. I love guerrilla marketing. And you can see what I'm doing at uh, LinkedIn right now with my book. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very pushy. Some people call it arrogant. In Israel, we call it chutzpah. But, you know, you need to kick a few doors. In the first five years in business, I'm very proud to say that we didn't spend any money on marketing. Our marketing was word of mouth. People telling their friends about the latest site they just discovered that sells great deals on whatever. Look at my new shoes. Look at my new toaster. Look at my new electric blanket. Look at my new television. And nothing beats that. But, and, and in the early days, PR was myself reaching out to a reporter that I spotted their name on the Herald Sun, The Age, or the Financial Review. 
and begging them to write a story about our you know, little Melbourne business called Catch of the Day. Later on, I think Melissa joined us, uh, you know, around 2012, 2013 or so. Yeah, I mean, nothing beats building relationships and PR companies have relationships with the producers, with the reporters and so on. And let's be honest, reporters and producers are quite lazy and they have a very busy day. And what the PR company does is they, they build a story for them. So I'll build you a story. I'm going to get Gabby from Catch and I'm going to get Paul Greenberg from uh, Deals Direct. And then we'll get some, uh, some expert from Choice Magazine. And there you go. There's a great Christmas story. Anti-correct, Michael. <laughs> Something like that. Exactly, exactly right. like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and the traffic that, that sort of came off the back of all those sort of yeah. things, yeah. like how big was that traffic that you yeah. saw? So by the way, I think there's about four pages in the book about PR and branding, and we actually give advice on how to approach reporters, how to talk to them, or what reporters, how to build a story for them and things like that. It's something that I'm actually very passionate about and I really wanted to include it uh, in the book. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget, uh, guys, the first time we were featured on TV. It was around 2008. We spent about two years building Catch of the Day and by then we had about 50,000 emails on our database. Very early days, 2006 to 2008. Sometimes towards the later part of 2008, we were featured on Today Tonight. We've just done a, a day where we sold $1.5 million of televisions in an hour, and the TV picked it. And I'll never forget that day, because on that day, on that evening alone, 50,000 new people have uh, registered to our email database. So it took us a year and a half to build 50, and then we grew another 50 overnight. And what happens the next day? 100,000 Australians suddenly talk about catch. 100 Australian people shop with us. And the snowball just gets bigger and bigger. And it was definitely a, a momentous day that I'll never forget. And, of course, it made it to the book as well. <laughs> Excellent. So, so moving along, sort of, I guess, you know, e-commerce this year, 2020, has seen sort of a huge <laughs> amount of growth, obviously, because of COVID and, and the lockdowns. And Curious, your views on e-commerce in Australia with a number of companies sort of now heading towards an IPO, Adore Beauty, Booktopia, My Deals, all, all planning on listing uh, later this year. What's your view on sort of that the e-commerce space uh, going into the end of this year and into next year? I'm really pissed off with them, uh, Steve, <laughs> because uh, I just sold my business at a 90% discount. <laughs> Love a and bargain. These, and these shitty little businesses are already worth more than mine. So we are... Being entrepreneurs, we're always competitive, you know, and very honest with you, West Farm has got the deal of a lifetime buying catch. They've got a tremendous building, tremendous business, great brand, great logistical and unbelievable people at the, at the really, really silly price. Yeah. But for some unusual reason, 13 years ago, businesses like catch were val being valued at the multiple of EBITDA. And we got sold at probably 12 times EBITDA, which was $230 million. For some unusual reason, guys, uh, which is really corona and nothing else, all e-commerce businesses, no matter how shitty they are, they are suddenly being valued at four times revenue. Why is that happening? I don't have an explanation for it, and I don't understand it. And if you ask me, I think something here also doesn't make sense. How do you think about that when you're investing? I mean, that is an interesting point, and I guess time will tell. Right, whether that's right or wrong, and yeah, whether absolutely. it's you know tailwinds or that's what have right. you. But it's it's hard to understand if you're a sort of traditional business person, which I think we both are, and kind of um, value value on on 
on profit multiples. But how, how do you think about it as an investor today? You know, businesses burning tons of cash. Yeah, how, how do you look at it? Again, we talk about it in the book, and in the book we actually say maybe we are a little bit old-fashioned. But Michael, when we went to business every day, I looked at the daily report, and when I looked at the daily report, I only cared about one number: gross profit yesterday. I wanted to see how much money we are making. We never cared about sales, revenues. All we wanted to do is be profitable. I never understood companies like the Iconic that have been going around for a whole decade and still haven't made a cent of profit. Some people will tell you today, Gabby is an idiot because he sold his business for two thirty, and all these you know other businesses are being valued at you know silly multiples of revenue. You know, so maybe we are idiots. Maybe we just sold that too early. Maybe we are old-fashioned, but we always cared about turning a profit. Maybe it's just our upbringing. But the world has suddenly changed, and we're suddenly using the American model of uh, evaluating businesses. And just like you're saying, uh, there is a very good chance that that's the new norm. And uh, look, I might be a believer in the new norm because uh, 10 days ago, myself and my brother invested in... Uh, an Australian e-commerce business called MySale that simply because we believe that they are undervalued. We're just seeing it as a business opportunity. We think that they are undervalued and we believe that they'll be worth more in the future. No difference, no different to investing on the share market, really. They're a value investor. Yeah, exactly. So with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, you, you guys have been super successful. I mean, you've had over a billion dollars of combined exits across your businesses and, and more to go. You still have you know, skin in the game with, with luxury escapes. Yeah. But if you could go back in time, you know, what, what would be something that you'd change or have done differently? Only one thing, not sell catch at the end of 2019. <laughs> Obviously, we, okay. can't, we can't go back in time and I can't change the wheel. And that is the only mistake that we've made, Michael. And it's not because we are stupid. When we sold the business, 500 people reached out to me and said, wow, congratulations, well done, great price. What an amazing buyer. You sold it to Australia's number one retail conglomerate. The price was fair. No one told us that we sold it too cheap or too expensive. It was a fair price. And, and we believed that it was a fair price and everyone was very happy. And as I mentioned, Corona came and suddenly it's being valued completely differently. But the other thing is, I believe as an e-commerce lover, being part of the game in 2020 would have been something that I would I would have really enjoyed, you know. Yeah, and I have one. absolutely, and I have yeah. a lot of friends in e-commerce, of course, both at Catch and at other companies, and uh, they're having a blast. They are loving it. They're loving every single day. Yeah, uh, triple but, or quadruple but, some of them. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But you know, yeah. but, but it's sad to say that a lot of the retailers are really struggling for the same reasons. And 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 I feel the retailers' pain as well because I am a retailer first and foremost, and I've spent more time, just as much time in a retail store, be to I mean uh, bricks and mortar, as as I have spent you know on the e-commerce side. So yeah, it's hard. Thanks, Gabby. We've only got a couple more questions. You've been very okay. generous with your time and okay. uh, your insights today, and you'll get a chance to spruik the book at the end. So don't don't worry <laughs> about that. <laughs> but look, you, you did have an amazing exit. You know, two hundred thirty million dollars to yep. you know the most respected sure. you know retailer in Australia, West Farmers. You know, they own Bunnings and etc. Mm-hmm. Kmart. But prior to that, you know, you, you you embarked on an IPO process. So tell us a bit about that. Um, it didn't go ahead. What, what can you share? What was that process like for other founders thinking about that as, as an exit option? Look, there were no other founders. I mean, the founders were myself and my brother, really. And 
some small shares were uh, owned by some key employees. But in, um, I think it was November 2017 that we started the IPO process. We went through the whole process. Uh, the prospectus was written. We met uh, potential investors in Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, Sydney, etc. And by October 2018, the bankers reached out to us and said that uh, no Australian companies will be listing this end of year. The market is shaky and choppy and, and we'll do it next year. And myself and my brother, we looked at each other and we smiled because we never really wanted to list this business. You know, you've known us for a bunch of years. We're not the uh, CEO of a listed company kind of people. We're always worried that the price of your company will be depended by what happens in China and how Trump behaves and so on. And we were happy, very happy that we would not be listing. And, uh, and a couple of months later, we got the first, uh, you know, tap on the shoulder from, uh, from West Farmers. Would you believe, Michael, and you've been following this space for a long, long time, that throughout our whole history and the previous decade, not a single Australian retailer, e-commerce player, media player has ever tapped on our shoulder and told us, hey, guys, we like what you're doing at Catch. I know that after the transaction with West Farmers, all of them probably thought that in their boardroom. And especially they think that today, because a lot of them have been asleep for a whole decade. But yeah, that, that, that was the case. It was a different world and the world has completely changed during COVID. And we all can see the end line right now. Yeah. It's insane that not a single large retailer could, you know, thought about that and thought about yeah. tapping you guys on the shelf. That's, that's insane. Yeah, it is. It is insane. Yeah. Never had a coffee with any of them. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. Amazing. So what's, what's next for you and, and, and Hezzy? I, I suspect there's, there's more on the horizon for you guys. Look, we've spent this, oh, I was, we were hoping to spend 2020 enjoying some of the fruits of our labor, traveling the world. I wanted to go to Israel. I wanted to go to the Olympics, you know, but at the end, I just did a lot of spins around Caulfield Park. So <laughs> it gave us a lot of time to think about what's next. And the last line in the book says the following, that there's always going to be problems and us as entrepreneurs, we like solving problems. And you'll have to agree with me. There are so many problems uh, that need uh, fixing uh, that were that hit the market in Corona, whether it's in e-commerce, in HR, in travel, in real estate, in education. There's a million troubles there, and they're all happening in the space of digital, which is the space that we really like, things that you can do on your mobile phone. We've got a lot of ideas. We have a lot of investment opportunities, and you'll hear from us again, and that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, congratulations, Gabby, on all your success. It's been um, a real pleasure and honor to watch it from the sideline. And, you know, I said, you know, you're a friend of me, but absolutely have the highest admiration for you and definitely celebrate your success and, and Hezzy's success. So um, thanks for sharing so openly today with um, all the founders listening in. Yep. But for those of those who'd like to purchase the book, can you tell us how do they do that? The book is called Catch of the Decade uh, and it will be available in every store in the market from the 1st of November. Currently, you can see it online at the Booktopias, Amazons, etc. I really hope that it will be Australia's number one business book this year, because just like I was very open today, we are very open in the book. It comes with hundreds of lessons for small and large entrepreneurs. 
And we hope that it will inspire the next generation of, of digital entrepreneurs out there. Because then I believe that 2021 will be the best year ever to start a business and the best year ever to, uh, to invest in a digital business. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks again, Gabby. Great speaking with you and uh, well done on your book. And um, we look forward to seeing it number one on the shelves. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Gabby. Good to chat. You've been listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.